0: episode of the who Dat jedi podcast i'm aaron and with me as always is dave and fredo the rest of the who Dat jedi council how you doing guys
1: Hello. not just the rest of the who Dat jedi council mvps right
0: well i don't know I, I suppose if we're all mvps then it just you know i guess yeah um but yeah we, we don't have like we but we said everybody else who listens to this aren't they like just they're jedi who dat jedi knights right
1: yeah i think we've got the council we got the knights yeah the kniggets
0: and somebody somebody's gonna sue us eventually so we got (laughs) so funny funny story actually um the the job that i had with the startup in that was out of canada we developed a, a interactive training for google apps at that point i'm dating myself i'm not it was google apps anyway So there was a, um, there's a, a blog called the Google guru and they do all the breaking news when Google releases an update or something like that. And, um, so my, they like, I was in charge of our blog. And so they're like, Aaron, we need, you need to have like some sort of persona. So they called me the, the Google Jedi And actually, I've got, if you see my Twitter profile, that's the the little thing my friend Kevin drew up of me as the Google Jedi, and uh, so we went for a while, and it was like, you know, we had our, that was on our blog and everything like that, and then when, um, all of a sudden, just one day, and this kind of led to when the company was acquired by Google, but at one point, my boss said, yeah, we need to stop, not, we need to stop with the Google Jedi, so... It's just, kind of, and I was like, I just remember that line from from uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back: George Lucas gonna sue somebody. <laughs> so yep. the, the Google lawyers must not have liked that taking that you know property into their uh, into their midst. They didn't want to deal with that. So anyway, so but I still have the uh, the drawing, and I, I will use it. Uh, but uh, yeah. So does
2: that make the boss the Google Sith Lord? Does it took out the Jedi?
0: Well, I, I suppose it could be so but we'll just move on from that one all right so uh uh so the saints are on a bye week um so i don't have anything to talk about except big news is that finally will lutz is off ir please oh lord let him we be healthy and We're let better. him be able to kick a ball because nobody else in the 504 area code can
2: well it's not that we can't kick a ball it's a question we can't kick a ball accurately yeah it's Putting it between the th- two big uh, yellow poles that sit at the ends of the end zones. Everybody can kick it. It's just, can you put it between those two, between, in the space between them?
0: By the way, I've been, you You turned me on to this, Fred. I've now been listening to the Who Dat, or not the, I've been listening to the Who Dat Jedi podcast. I've been listening to the Saints Happy Hour podcast.
2: Mm-hmm. Very
0: entertaining, you know, podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But they asked a question. I'm going to ask it to you guys. So here we are at the bye. Um, who is the MVP? Of the Saints so far, this season? Yeah. Here at the buy, mm-hmm. who's who's the, who's your MVP so far?
2: I'd probably go with the Mario Davis, just because it's he's the easiest name to kind of just pick out, and because his presence on defense, when it's good, you notice; when we're not good, you notice his absence.
0: Dave, what I'd... do you think? Who's your MVP?
2: I'd probably take Lattimore.
0: That's one I was going to go with. Lattimore yeah. is, you know, he actually started off kind of slow, I thought, and then mm-hmm. he's really just been on fire.
1: Yeah, it, um, you're constantly seeing that guy making plays. And um, <laughs> there was at one point where, like, I think it was Washington, like their entire offense seemed to be, like, designed at going at Lattimore, which just seems like the worst possible strategy, so – it was like yes, okay, continue to do that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it
0: was. It, the, yeah, it was the one receiver I think that they had. So, um, but uh, you know, it also has proved so far. I think this has proven um, that Sean Payton is a, a coach. That here you got a different, different quarterback, kind of different makeup. You got a bunch of people, you know, hurt. Um, if we had any, and they were mentioning this on the, on the Saints Javier podcast, so I don't want to totally steal their thunder, but it's, it's true. And I've thought it before too. It's that, you know, if we had any other coach, we would be just miserable right now. So.
1: Probably fair, but I, you know, the older I get, the more I realize that, um, I can be my own worst enemy. I feel like most of my wounds nowadays are self-inflicted. And, uh, I'm sure if you gave, sean some truth serum he would say the same thing because oh yeah. it's just like like cutting like you know the, the kicker situation he cuts the one guy just because he misses the No, you know, i'm the a 55 yarder or whatever the crap and so the other guy comes in so he brings this other guy in who can't hit an extra point and it's just like okay so you made the situation worse um no i'm not you know, calling him
0: i'm not calling him jesus because it's like yeah, th- you know fredo yeah. you were right when we were at the game and said you know you have um Jamis throw, you know the pass, and it, it what it got called, we got pass interference or something like that, and got well, no, called a hold. hold got hold a call back. holding, and then so the very next play is the exact same play with Taysom Hill, and you turn, you said, "No, nah, that's just Sean being cute," you know, and it is. I mean, yeah, he is, he is his own worst enemy from time to time, but like I said, I think he approached this season with, "All right, I got to try some different things." That being said, I'm still going to say it. I've said it over and over again. Please. Less taste them to the right, run them to the left every now and again. Can't just be taste them to the right, that seems the way it always is. So, anyway, so let's hope that because uh, we got Seattle on Monday, Monday night. night football, we got Monday night <coughs> in Seattle. Everybody stay up late, all right. Well, Star Wars time here. Let's do some trivia, get our brain wrapped up, uh, wrapped around what we're going to do. By the way, our topic for tonight you know, a couple weeks ago we did how. The um, prequel trilogy affected how we see the original trilogy, and tonight it's going to be how the sequel trilogy affects how we see the original trilogy. Um, So while you're thinking about that, we'll do some trivia here. I don't have my glasses. I always forget my glasses, so I'll hold them out far like this. All right, Fredo. (laughs) I was going to make up something stupid because you got a softball last week. Um, No, I'm going to read the one I'm seeing who assumes full responsibility for losing track of the falcon and then apologizes to lord vader
2: captain nita
0: that's one. that's one of those lines you always remember apology accepted captain nita
1: apology accepted captain nita
0: yep yep yep
2: i think they say his name like two three times in there it's like the scene prior is like you know it's like when they lose the side of him it's like captain nita we we know we can't track him and they go lord captain nita lord vader it's like it's it's surprising you get usually most imperial officers don't get a name drop yeah never mind three
0: all right dave who's holding a data pad in his hand when he first greets qui-gon jinn I want to think you've gotten this one before. Somebody has. Who's holding a data pad in his hand when he first greets Qui-Gon Jinn?
1: (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know. Don't think Uh, about it too hard, Dave. uh, Anakin?
0: Very close. It was Watto. Okay. It was Watto
1: that's a that's an absurd question
0: mm-hmm. it, it, and it i'm is. thinking i was thinking it's easy but I've, uh, the action figure he has a, da- a data pad so um, <clears throat>
1: <laughs>
2: Does yeah, it first really? i thought it was a yeah. yeah. um, uh, protocol droid but then I, the image popped in my head of waddle getting up from the chair with the data pad and fluttering
0: all right so mine who answers the door when obi-wan kenobi visits Django fett's apartment
2: okay come
0: on that is going to be boba fett it is boba fett Mm -hmm. by the way um i got to thinking about this uh um yesterday i was driving um who is obi-wan in your brain ewan mcgregor or um alec guinness if if you had to answer just right away who's it going to be Ewan McGregor? See, I'd say Alec Guinness.
2: No, Alec Guinness is Ben Kenobi. I
1: I thought there was... Uh, okay, so I just want to use this as, a, as an opportunity to express this, this thought that I just had. I thought that there was a slight disconnect between the two. I always did, you know. They're not exactly the same. They did a good job styling him in Revenge of the Sith to try to connect them further. I thought they did a good job with that but they never really connected in my brain until we got twin sons in rebels. See and I and I would agree not,
0: with, I would agree with that. Keep going.
1: Like, yeah, that like that moment and those scenes with a more guinness like figure for me really sort of connected the two versions uh way better than they had been before and I'm I'm curious to see if the new series does a little bit of that as well
0: so nothing nothing bad to James Arnold Taylor but his voice in the Clone Wars for Obi-Wan has always driven me nuts it it's never it's like it's trying it's he's trying to I don't know if he's trying to be the mixture of Alec Guinness and Ewan McGregor I don't know but I've never liked that vocal portrayal like I said with all due respect but yeah I think it was Stephen Stanton did um Obi-Wan in Twin Suns and Rebels. Is that who did it with Steven Stanton?
1: I think you're I think you're right.
0: Um somebody if I'm wrong, somebody check me on Twitter, yeah. whatever. But um, yeah, nailed, nailed the the Alec Guinness voice. You know, and I can give a I can give a little bit of a pass, you know, with it's like, yeah, he's 20 years younger if you heard my voice, you know, 20 yeah. years ago. But but no, I was just wondering, it's like when it's funny because the paradigm, it's like when you say Obi Wan Kenobi or Ben Kenobi. I don't care. I think it, Alec Guinness. I still think that Ewan McGregor is just kind of, uh, I'm not going to say a fraud, but he's like a stand in. <laughs> he's he's just a stand in, but he's actually been associated with that character longer. Yeah. So it's just kind of weird. And I guess it's old guy. You know, it's like to some people, the quarterback of the Saints is still Bobby bear, You know, I don't know.
2: Yeah. No, it's funny because, uh, I saw this meme I want to say in in Instagram and it was a juxtaposition of, you know, they want us to think, you know, they show you a picture of Ewan McGregor in 2005 and how he looks now. It's the same thing as Obi-Wan, you know, Obi-Wan and Revenge of the Sith and then Alec Gennison. And and you can totally see it's like, wait, this is longer time than this, but he looks way older here. And you're like, maybe that's what living drives you out, makes you older quicker.
1: I think, um, for me, it's it's Ewan. Um, I thought he took that role over in uh, Attack of the Clones, in particular, at that point. I thought, like, okay, this is his role. Um, well,
0: he certainly gets more screen time than Alec Guinness.
1: Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, but, and it was just like, th- okay, it's him now.
2: But I also think it's between the prequels and the Clone Wars, particularly, we've gotten to know a lot more of Obi-Wan. Than we ever did his uh, his character under Sarah um, L. Guinness, just because he's got some um, small role in F New Hope and then few appearances in the other two movies. Whereas he's front and center in the prequels and front and center in Clone Wars. So it's, you know, yeah. you got to know more about him as this. I
0: just, I just found it very interesting that that was my first thought. And I was like, well, that's not really fair because, like I said, Ben Kenobi is in, you know, just a fraction of each of the three movies of the original trilogy, yet I see Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan and Ewan McGregor is, like I said, the stand-in. Um, but he, you know, I don't know. That's just interesting, man. That's I didn't mean to throw that on you. It was just a random thought from Aaron. Um, so anyway, all right. So Fredo, what else we got going in the news?
2: So just right quick, actually bringing it back to though one bit, a big bit of Star Wars thing says um we got confirmation that disney plus day is going to have is going to give us a boba fett special titled under the helmet the legacy of boba fett so this was part of a disney gallery um series similar in nature to the disney gallery season one of mandalorian as well as to the final episode of mandalorian season two it's supposed to uh be a special that celebrates the origins and legacy of star Wars' legendary bounty hunter boba fett and Obviously, it's gonna start out from this car, you know, special, you know, holiday special beginnings, all the way through, hopefully leading us into the book of Boba Fett. See, and I'm, that's November twelfth.
0: See, and I want to, I want to find out who designed Boba Fett,
1: Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Where?
0: Boba! because that person like hit gold. Because that's the whole thing is that the only reason we've talked about it on the show before is that the only reason why Boba Fett was popular is because he looked so damn cool. It was the coolest thing that we had seen in Star Wars to that point. I mean, Darth Vader was really cool, but then you see Boba Fett and it's just like, that looks awesome. Has very few lines, does very little, but by God, it was awesome. So that's all just design. It's like a band gets up on stage, doesn't even play a note, but you look at them and you're like, I want to watch this band just because of the way they look, you know, and it might be awesome might suck, but it's just like something about them that their stage presence or whatever. It's like, all right, I'm in.
1: So I, I think that that, I mean, we've talked about how he's drawn people in for so, such a long time, it's just because of the, the, the general look of the character. We didn't know anything else about him. Um, and so it, the look was, was what got people going. And, um, what I'm, what I, what I find kind of cool is how they riffed on his traditional look in The Mandalorian, um, where they gave him kind of the robe, the desert robes, um, a, as part of. I guess he was with Tuscans at some point. We still don't know that full story. Um, it almost
0: made it look like he was wearing a kilt with the armor. <laughs> My I mean, it was like yeah. I, I would have been, you know, have been down with that, but anyway.
1: I think it was really smart because Tamar Morrison um is bigger than Jeremy Bullock was, I think. And um and so like the, the armor didn't fit him the same way or w- it would have it would have been noticeably larger, you know, there would have there would have been It's all that blue would've...
0: milk in Bantha, <laughs> you know, that he's been <laughs> too eating too
1: much blue milk, man, every time.
2: Well twenty plus um... years we don't all look fit, fit the same clothes we used. <laughs>
1: I think it was an elegant solution, though, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, I, like, I agree like, with you. I think it yeah. is cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so be, it'll be interesting, though, to see if they continue on with that in the book of Boba Fett or if they, you know, because, I mean, they even changed. He did a paint job on the armor, the armor. you know, in between episodes. So maybe. They'll ease us into something that is kind of a marriage of everything. But I, I was not opposed to what he was wearing, I, and it also made him stand out from Din. Um, so and from Bo
2: Katan and the other night owls. Uh, By the way, on a tangent, shiny at,
0: look. I don't know if I said this to you guys, but at the uh, St. Tammany convention, I was uh, talking to uh, the Mandalorian Mercs, uh, the guy who was running their table. That's another costuming. Organization, You know, we have the 501st, which are Imperials. We have the, you know, you have the Rebel Legion. And then you have the Mandalorian Mercs. And I said, so have you guys seen an uptick in um, membership since the Mandalorian? he's like, no. He said we see more interest. But the bigger thing is that we're not all Boba Fett anymore. <laughs> that every time, you know, everybody makes their armor to be their own. It's kind of an interesting concept. They're not trying to be Bo-Katan. They're not trying to be sabine you know anything they they make their own armor in that style of uh <clears throat> mandalorian and but everybody saw them they were like boba fett and now he said when they're doing parades and stuff like that people are like oh it's mandalorians and they pluralize it so people are becoming educated on what <laughs> mandalorian is versus boba fett so that's just kind of interesting
2: as long uh, as they're all <clears throat> expecting baby groups <throat> everywhere so we'll, measure, we'll top off Star Wars for a bit, but this might tangentially get back us into Star Wars. There was a big article on Variety about Disney delaying a whole slew of movies, primarily within the MCU, and one that isn't. So Disney has delayed release plans from several coming films, including Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which was supposed to come out next March, now it's coming out in May. Thor Love and Thunder, which is now going from May to July. Black Panther's Wakanda Forever, which is going from July to November. And then that's also pushed a number of other movies into 2023. Along with the Marvel delays, Disney also moved Indiana Jones 5, the the installment's currently filming, uh, to from June 30th, uh, actually from July 29th of next year, to June 30th of 2023. So apparently there was a massive date shuffle related to the success of Shang-Chi, Coming Eternals. There was some they had an injury that Harrison Ford sustained on set. So uh, they're doing shoots around without Harrison Ford. I also think, and again, say this,
0: this is the cynical Aaron, but I also think that it's, they're sitting there going, there's a possibility of a strike in the movie industry. So we need to pad some things just in case. They're probably, you know, getting word that, you know production's going to be shut down i saw an article that production might get shut down on the mandalorian season three because of this impending strike so i mean but they're not going to get out they're not going to call variety and say hey we have to push things because of the you know because then that's that's going to screw over you know any sort of negotiations or anything." but that's the cynical me just saying Mm -hmm. that's probably what's going on i mean i don't know did shang chi really do gangbusters and so they've got to push but that means they got to push everything back i mean mm-hmm. ma- probably maybe. not probably I not know.
2: i mean the the, the one catch-all lad is you know the way that it impacts back into star wars is remember we got rogue squadron currently scheduled for december 2023 and while that's not necessarily in the same universe as marvel then Disney does not like to put competing properties too close to one another ever so long game if and they move solo. Some...
0: <laughs> I mean, and what happened there? Yeah, I mean, so I mean, they've learned their lessons. Well, they, they, late if they had it already scheduled to do one thing, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh crap, look at this. So, I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Dave, what do you think?
1: I mean. Better to delay than try to force the issue, which is the thing we always Ah, talk about. Force, you know. We all thought that uh, Rise of Skywalker was perhaps rushed. Um, We thought that it was probably to the film's detriment, and so um, just from that perspective alone, I I, I don't get too hung up on these things, especially because of the volume aspect of it. There's just so many of these movies. It's like, oh, no, I'm not going to get my Marvel fix for another two months. Uh, well, there's one coming two months later, so it's OK. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little different with Star Wars because, like, like Frater was saying, I've got to wait until 2023 right now. Um, and so I think if they push that one back, I'll feel a little more disappointed.
0: Now, can Harrison Ford like do a Star Wars or indie movie and not get hurt, please? Or, I think it's in his contract. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so, but, um, yeah, I don't know what to expect for Indy Five, but I guess, but we have we have another story about Indy Five.
2: Well, there's one thing you can expect, <clears throat> and that is you will hear John Williams' music in Indy Five. So it was confirmed that uh, the one and only John Williams will start writing music for Indiana Jones Five in a couple of weeks, according to reports. With, from fans who attended one of his Uh, three concerts in Berlin. Although you're more likely going to have to wait, you know, at the time they said next summer, but more likely it's going to be further out. And it kind of shows when this story broke, it was still on schedule for next year. But um, he does say they they never knows what Spielberg's doing next and that Indy 5 is changing by the second. Remember this movie, Indy 5, uh, it's not Steven Spielberg directing he's producing. He's got Logan and and Ford versus Ferrari director, James Mangold directing it. So at least they're trying to keep the continuity of that. And we know that John Williams has retired from Star Wars music, but not entirely out of Lucasfilm altogether.
0: Yeah. I mean, boy, and we, I, I used to be of the mindset that um, if it ain't going to be John Williams, you know, they that there should be somebody who is right now studying, working with John Williams to learn how to compose like John Williams. But the Mandalorian and, um, I mean, the Mandalorian really has, and Rogue One, except for the main title, um, has proven to me that, um, that, yeah, Star, and actually even Clone Wars has some really good, um, soundtrack to it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, I, I mean, I used to be a big John Williams homer, and I, I as long as he is alive, I hope he keeps composing. And then when he dies, he can decompose. And but um... I, I could I could tell a joke, but anyway, I I just did. Uh, but anyway, no, I mean, you know, I, it, is I, that I, what I, we're calling it? I I want <laughs> I want I want I want him to keep composing. Um, but the I mean, the future is bright. I think some of these series have. I mean, they've. Again, they're they've taken me along and saying it's going to be okay, so I think it was good that they had somebody else composing for Clone Wars, somebody else composing for Solo and for, you know, Mandalorian stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I tell you what, hey. if there is one, if there is one guy that I'd probably ball when I met, it would be John Williams. So
1: probably the same, yeah, and it'd be, uh, you know. We're not even going to speak the evil uh, of him passing on into existence because that just. You've
0: you've that's... seen the YouTube clip of uh, kids playing uh, the Star Wars theme outside of his house. No. The, oh, I'll send I'll send you guys a clip. I'll, but two two kids playing like their trumpets outside of his house, playing like Star Wars theme, and he comes out of the house and starts working with the kids there on the sidewalk. You know, just give them a little mini lesson. I mean, it's like. That's well, awesome. First of all, can you imagine being in the same neighborhood with John Williams and then, you know, having the balls to go play your trumpet outside of his? <laughs>
2: his... <laughs> he comes outside. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> Get off my lawn. <laughs> yeah. Where's Aaron again? Is he over at John Williams' house again? <laughs> yeah, but it, again, it, I think you can speak to a larger point, which is he's so integral to the fabric and the feel of the movies that he's made particularly the big franchise i mean it's not just star wars or indiana jones it's harry potter there's et i mean there's a lot of stuff where harry will i mean john williams harry, is, harry yeah. williams is his dad yeah that's right that's right he's the one telling you to get off his lawn now his influence is felt and he's built a, the musical language to it so glad to hear he's at least coming back for that uh last bit of news that'll be a quick one uh Going back to Marvel, right quick, they announced that uh, their next Disney Plus series, Hawkeye, is going to come out on November 24th. So you'll get to have your first two episodes alongside some Thanksgiving turkey. This looks good.
0: Mm-hmm. It, I mean, and I don't know why, but it's like the the whole b- having it being set around Christmas. Like, just makes me even a little bit more giddy for it. I don't know. It, just seeing this. Did they hire Shane Black? Just just seeing this and having, you know, the most wonderful time of the year being played in the background, it just kind of was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, so uh, I don't know why that, but, I mean, it, it looks like a cool series. So,
1: You know, a friend of our, uh, mine pointed out that the fact that um, in uh, Age of Ultron, Hawkeye is sort of self-narrating at varying points during the movie and uh very much like John McClane does in Die Hard it's like I think we're gonna get some uh, Hawkeye self self narration uh in this uh holiday action piece and uh, I'm here for it
2: yeah it's if they channel some of the fun of uh some of those 80s Christmas action movies like I said directed by Shane Black you know uh stuff so it'll it'll be fun it'll be fun and it's you, know, you don't know, it only highlights how Marvel's slowly but surely consuming everything. It's, you know, you got them for at the start of the year. You're going to get them at the end of the year with your holiday season.
0: It's a confession time with Aaron, but I've never seen Die Hard. Yeah, Fredo, this should be a video podcast so they could see your guys' reaction right now. I've never seen Die Hard. So. How, how did you skip that? I don't know, I, had, I had Bruce Willis's album that he released in the 80s, but I didn't see the Die Return Hard. Bruno? <laughs> Bruno, oh what God. is it? All the right. Return of okay. Bruno? <laughs> All
1: right. Well, um, Aaron, were you in. Okay, so this is my only possible excuse that I will accept for that. Were you in college at the time?
0: When did it come out?
1: 88. Was, 88. 80, 88 88? No, no, I was in high school. No? Okay. It was high school. Because, man. I don't know. We're gonna have to rectify that one. You, it's gonna have to become homework, part of the homework.
0: Homework, and I'll have to. Then I'll get into the argument of whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie.
1: Watch Um, it during Christmas. I I mean, I don't care about that. That that, that's just you know something for people to talk about on the internet, Mm -hmm. right? But it's um uh, it is the greatest action movie of all time.
0: Oh, okay. Well, now I'm not gonna see it for another ten years. You just screwed it. (laughs) There you go. You went for hyperbole the greatest action movie of, oh, all time. movie of all time the greatest action oh, far, movie of far, all time but i'll say
2: i'll say it's the most influential probably of the last 25 35 years
0: well that's interesting as well this, well uh, just
2: because it became so iconic that the phrase die hard on blank became obvious <laughs> you know became everywhere. Die Hard on a boat you know I, the bus, I, mean, I mean I, I, I know the all
0: the I know all the you know, it's one of those things where Brittany and I have talked about it where it's like if we haven't mm-hmm. seen something, we still understand the pop culture importance and, the reference. and references and things like that. Um so now I okay, I will I will watch it soon. Welcome to the party pal soon so that I can come back and and Okay. So
1: there are warts. There are huge warts in this movie. Okay. It's but a you, you, for the but greatest go, action
0: movie of all time.
1: You're going in, <laughs> enjoying the warts. You know, they're winking at you while they're doing it. Um, I'll give you an example. The police chief is a bumbling idiot who you're going to be throwing things at the screen because you're like, this guy is the dumbest idiot I've ever seen in my entire life. McClunky, this guy. But they're doing that on purpose, you know. It's just the trope, and they're playing yeah. into the trope, and you're like, okay, it's no. it's, fun. it's fun. Don't don't try to save it. don't
0: try to save it for me, guys. I'll watch it. You've said your piece. You've said it's the most it's the best action movie of all time, and you've said, Fredo, that it's the most influential of the last well, about twenty five years. whatever years.
1: All right, yeah, thirty years. I, I 30 will watch it. With, years, I yeah. will
0: watch it with an open mind. Um, you know, and we'll we'll and.
2: Just get ready for all the '80s guys that you know from other movies to show up in this one. It's so, the
1: definition of an action movie. Like there are other things, you know. You've got like the comic book movie. You've got, you know, the sci-fi. Now I you, will you say, you got all these other genres. My right? mom has seen. My this mom has seen it, and she loved it. Action movie. This is what this is. Action. So. And so
0: okay so i i will watch i I will watch it like i said you know aaron's mind needs to be you know broadened so let me ask you one more thing that and then we got to get onto our topic for tonight but uh you guys were geeking out a little bit over um the new batman trailer Mm -hmm. and um i guess my question is why I mean it 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 looks fine. It looks like it looks good, but it looks like well, how is this going to be different than any other Batman movie that we've had in the last, you know, 20 years? Plus. Because okay, well, I mean, okay, it's- so it's like I we see a coffee cup with the Riddler, you know, sign It's like, well, we've had the Riddler. Now it was Jim Carrey, so what we're going to get a different Riddler, you know, and then so we've got, you know, so why is this and I, I'm not trying to be a jerk about it, but I'm you know you guys can maybe uh, uh, help some people uh, along as up. to why they should be excited about this reboot. Go ahead.
2: Well, two things one, you're right. It's it's very surprising how quickly we're coming with a reboot after you know, the character got rebooted under Ben Affleck. I think in part, I mean, there, there was always this interest of doing one of the seminal Batman stories, is Batman Year One by Frank Miller, which is. How Batman, it wasn't just Batman's origins, which everybody has seen, but it's the idea of how Batman became Batman. We got some of that out of Batman Begins with uh, Christopher Nolan back in 2005. This one's actually going more into some of those details, some of those quirks, uh, how Batman's kind of discovering how to be the character, the character of Bruce Wayne. Uh, Matt Reeves, the director, is a really good director. If you ever seen 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, his adaptation of the Let the Right One In, Let Me In, also did the last two uh, planet of the ape uh, reboots uh, dawn and then war for the planet of the Apes, both really good so he's got a really good sense of that and also i just i like the aesthetic that they're going for in some ways it's it's not comic. you know yes it's a comic book movie yes it's a batman movie but it's leaning more towards the psychological aspect of batman and i've always been surprised that we don't get enough take issue with you just batman we we get we get a lot of punchy guy Batman we get a lot of tech gadget Batman we don't get enough of the detective the guy who can actually solve crimes kind of Batman I'm hoping this but I, is.
0: I will take a little bit of issue I mean the aesthetic of it it looked I mean you, you could have been looking at you know a trailer from mm-hmm. Batman Begins or mm-hmm. um you know Dark Knight Dark Knight I mean it has that same it, it, there was a very similar aesthetic to it mm-hmm. um,
2: more leaning into reality as opposed to the uh joel schumacher look which lean more into the over-the-topness of comic books right. yes. you know that is that is
0: a danger mm-hmm. of these because unless you are i mean if you're if you're steeped in the comic book lore then mm-hmm. you know that it's going to be like okay this is going to be based on this comic series people people just mm-hmm. the the dumb people like me it's like batman but you know there's right. but, you know unless you know that there was this writer in this series of the batman comics that the movie is going to be based on there's the this you know series that this movie is going to be based on, so each gives a different take. Cool, but like I said, I just don't know if that trailer did anything to tell me that it is different from,
1: you know, the Christian Bale stuff. The other
2: ones are have gotten right? Dave?
1: I, yeah, that's probably a fair critique of the of the trailer. Uh, I mean, like I didn't watch the trailer and say my excitement has you know gotten stronger or waned either it was just sort of Wayne. there ha huh. yeah you see what i'm doing there um it's it's it was fine but you're to your pointer and it's like it's not telling you much it really is not and it's not telling you that you might be looking at year one like like Fredo said and you might be looking at these detective noir roots that we barely touched on in any of the other movies you know a little bit of that with keaton Hardly anything else. I mean, and I guess a little bail and it's just they sprinkle it in, but they don't do a lot of it. And so, like, this is really going to become test your wits, right? um And so, like, that's part of the appeal. The other part of the appeal for me personally is just the fact that they're stuffing this thing so full of characters. Is that going to work? Well, like, it, yeah, it's getting, it's getting like the, uh,
0: um, when you had the Riddler and Two Face and um who else was all involved? Po- was Poison Ivy in that one as well. No, no,
2: she was in the last one. She
0: was in Batman and Robin. Anyway, but anyway, you're right. They get you get too many it becomes like the sixties uh, you know, Batman when you had all the villains in the submarine. Yeah.
1: Which could be a good thing. I'm not gonna like rule it out, you know what I mean? Because it's just we haven't seen it in a long time at least not that it, we've only seen it like fail spectacularly we've not seen somebody pull it off right so like i'm kind of excited on that level too this is like okay can you make this work i'm interested to see if you can make it work and so like that's another reason to to kind of be drawn towards it
0: so the, the franchise had to take a turn after uh the um Oh the the supercut of Justice League, the, the re, recut of Justice League, and the minute I heard Joker say, you know, Batman was going to give him a reach around, that made me go, what? <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm anxious to see That's a different exciting. a different different Batman movie. So we don't. You know that...
1: what? I I'm a, I'm a little upset that that DC and Marvel seem to be following the same playbook right now, which is like the multiverse stuff which like they're both sort of falling into that at the same time. We're seeing it in the new flash movie. Um, Oh, look, it's the Batman you remember from before, but it's like, how is he here? And we have this other Batman over here. And this, this Joker is different than this other Joker, you know? Um, and they're just like throwing them all out there and they're they're not really explaining it yet, but now they're going like the multiverse route. Maybe, um, I'm not excited about all that. I I guess I'd rather they just kind of had a more direct path. So that was. I will say, oh, go ahead, Fredo.
2: No, I was just going to say, and it's, you know, that was one of the mistakes that TC kind of jumped into to quickly, try to build a shared universe. And, uh-huh. you know, I thought that after the success of Wonder Woman and Shazam and Aquaman, particularly, that they had learned kind of the lesson that, okay, we need to start focusing on making one good movie then another good movie then another good movie and as we string good movies along then maybe people want to come along and we can expand that into a universe or a multiverse you know again marvels had 15 years at this and only now we're getting different variants and whatnots, yeah. and they're introducing that slowly they're not running out to show it to you so and i'm i'm sorry um, to
0: take us down a tangent from our from our topic for this evening but that I just remember you guys mentioned that in that trailer did come out. Like I said, it looks cool. cool. Um mm-hmm. and uh yeah so but I was but I just wonder what it would make you know different from any <laughs> other Batman movie. Um, or good, this uh good movies is a good thing. So uh Star Wars getting back to Star Wars and um the how the sequels has changed our view of the original trilogy. Um and when when you guys propose this topic, um, the first thing... I'm going to I'm gonna steal one of the bullets that I... Dave, did you put this up? Um, but it was the first one that came to my brain. Is that um, Palpatine has more weight in the story than just the evil ruler of the galaxy. And I think it even affects when they're talking about the Emperor in um, A New Hope. You know, it makes... A bigger it I mean he he is a much bigger deal um, I think that's the first glaring thing sorry just that's us jumping right in the deep end of the pool and mm-hmm. a lot of people had the big criticisms like really Ray is uh, Palpatine's granddaughter I might have been one of them um, but I mean it makes it makes him um, the yang to you know Anakin's yang that sounds dirty but you know
1: <laughs> yeah. I, would, I,
2: would, I would agree with you i think it's in some ways it it juxtaposes the two sides of the story that i've been watching along for all these movies where you know you get the jedi who are all about embracing and accepting the ebb and flow of life life will end at some point there, there is a journey through death that we'll have to take care of and we shouldn't begrudge it or try to stave it off whereas Every time we see Palpatine, all he's trying to do is gain that ultimate power. That's that's his ultimate goal. He wants to live forever. That's the carrot he dangles over Anakin, and you think, well, you know, when he gets thrown, at first you think, okay, he gets killed at the end of Jedi, but then seeing that the entirety of the sequel trilogy wraps around back to that idea of no, he was still trying to find ways to live forever, whether it was a clone son, a granddaughter transferring, whatever. Um, it shows you just how deep and desperate it's need was to stave off the grim reaper. And if somebody
0: hasn't done it yet, they need to do like a parody of it was Agatha all along. It was Palpatine all along. It's like, I mean, basically he's, he's writing this entire story from episode one through episode nine. Right. And you know, you're right. I mean, we see the emperor in holographic form, uh, in empire and you're just thinking, okay, yeah, vader calls him his master but i guess i didn't really put him into this okay he's a sith lord type of a mind I, I didn't have that role in his head I looking back in to 1980 um the and then in return of the jedi when he shoots you know lightning at luke we're like okay something's up
2: oh i'm afraid the deflector shield will be quite operational when your friends arrive
0: more of a bad you know what than we thought then I mean the prequels really establish him as Sith but then the sequels you're right it, it's like I said it is just he's he's kind of the glue that ties everything together
1: Dave yeah you know and I think like what's interesting is to think about um, his relationship with the Skywalkers there's that meme that, that goes around. I, I think where it's um, where it's Anakin in uh, Dooku's throne room with Obi Wan laying on the ground and and Palpatine sitting in the chair, and it says uh, Anakin kills all of these people, um, and which is, if you think about it, is pretty is kind of true. And also, if you think like he sort of killed himself too by you know death by lightning, um, but it's like anakin and palpatine were always sort of like connected right connected connected and the in the and that was one of the things that george did i think really smartly in the in the prequels which is like let's hint at it in the first movie let's show a little bit more of it in the second movie and then we'll try to pay it off in the third and by the the time you get to the original trilogy, now these two people are just the two big bads, right? You know, the the big bad and big bad A. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there they are together. And so then, um, and now Luke gets folded into the equation and then, um, you know, the events play out as they do. Now you fast forward to the sequel trilogy and whose galaxy is it at this point? like Snokes. well and that's that's you know? my
0: thing i was just, i'm gonna interrupt you here because that's mm-hmm. my thing i wish if that was actually the story all along i wish we would not have had snoke i wish they would have brought in palpatine from the get-go like maybe in you know you know when you have you have luke on the cliff then maybe you know the next scene is the emperor's cackle, you know, so I or so, I don't know, something, but I, I wish he was part of the story the whole way,
1: or just have him be the guy on the throne that Kylo's talking to, and you're like, yeah. What the heck, you know, yeah, or, or, or later. do like yeah.
0: a little, like a little solo yeah. thing where you, you see this cloaked thing and you're like, I recognize that voice, and it took me a while to figure out it was Maul because it was, you know. Um, Uh Oh, what's his butt's voice from the Clone Wars? But anyway, you know, so now I think think Palpatine's voice would have been recognizable immediately. But, I mean, yeah, I think that, you know, or he maybe didn't even have to say a word. Could just been Kylo talking to this cloaked figure and you're like, who is that?
1: Or you could have put him into a, um, I don't know, some kind of a suit like Vader had or Kylo had where that modulates your voice sure. and then you don't, you don't have any idea it, that way. So, but yeah, they, they probably could have, they could have hinted at the reveal without revealing it if they wanted to, or they could have just shown, have them shown up. Cause like they did that in the, in the ninth movie. Mm-hmm. It was like, he's back. We don't know how or why, but he is. Yeah. You right. <laughs> They, they could have done that in seven if they really wanted to. That's like it's um, like
0: you know, that that yeah, that that crawl had like had no skills. That was like going up to the, the girl at the bar and go, You're purdy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um so um another thing that came to my mind when I looked thinking about you know the sequels to the original trilogy, I and it's kinda interesting that I'm gonna say this, but the idea of the force has more weight, as well, um, and actually, I think, I think the prequels kind of almost it, it almost demystified the Force because everybody was using the Force all over the place, and you know when Obi Wan was talking about it in Episode Four, and then the first time you see Luke moving a lightsaber in in Empire, but what the sequels did was to bring that. That mystic quality back, especially when Maz Kanata is talking about it, and Rey is discovering it, not knowing what this is that's going on. Um, I think that is a, that's a, that affected me, and the way I, the way I look at the Force through. It. Because whereas the prequel trilogy, I think demystified it a little bit. I don't think that the original trilogy gave it enough weight, you know, as to what it was. But they're trying to figure out what it was.
1: I don't disagree with that. I, I also like that I think you can you're hinting at something even potentially broader, which is this idea of paying respect to what came before too. Um, and they do that by kind of elevating the things that pre-existed, right? The Millennium Falcon is really, really important. Again, the fans have put that importance there. The you know, the producers of the original films put that importance on it. But we're gonna take it up a notch. We're gonna we're gonna Guy Fieri this. We're gonna we're gonna make it even bigger. Or wait, emerald, right? Yeah, no, that's an emerald thing. Sorry, um, but like we're gonna we're gonna make it even bigger and even more mythic. And we're gonna hint at more of a backstory that you don't know about necessarily. And they did that with Luke's lightsaber. Um, like you said, they did that with the Force. we like reestablish some of the the mysticism and the awe of it like we don't fully understand everything but we respect it and we're going to kind of like put it on this pedestal like like kylo literally puts vader's helmet on a pedestal <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's a that's a sequence we see it's it, there it is it's on a pedestal so it's like that that's a very deliberate image to convey what they're trying to achieve there and again like i understand the the marketing sales side of that um (laughs) i'm not gonna repeat that aaron um
0: i just thought a four-year-old virgin when you said that it was funny as hell
1: (laughs) yeah no no but i talk about heck you don't want to talk about pedestals like Uh, college football head coaches okay like that's that's my thing you'll get me ranting for two hours on that but um but yeah no so like (laughs) there's this whole mysticism and this whole we respect what came before thing and again part of it's the sales side of it we really want to get the fans back in the seats well but then you but i also feel like it 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 um it resonated. It worked. I liked those, well, those that's the, that that way they treated. And
0: that's things. the thing is that you know people were like peeing their pants because Luke was doing this force projection thing that actually Ryan Johnson took out of a book about the Jedi. You know, first of all, so we see we see that that's like wow, this made the force bigger to us. And then then they introduced the idea of a dyad. You know, in. The Rise of Skywalker, which people pissed their pants over that too. Sorry, you're gonna have to McClunky this all over the place. Um, but you know, it's they they freaked out over that, but it's like it's it made the force bigger and the possibilities, you know. It's like, I mean, come on, folks, the Wright brothers, you know, flew the first airplane, and then what it was like 60 years later, we we're flying to the moon, yeah. you know. I mean, so. It, it, I don't know. It, I, like I, said, I I I like the fact that they they made. So when when we're when Obi wan is now talking about this, in the original trilogy, it's like all the we now know all these things are possible, you know.
2: I th- I think in part one of the things that I, you know as you guys were talking, I was thinking about part of the job of the prequel trilogy was sort of to demystify a lot of the stuff that we saw in the original trilogy, because it was to show you what came before so whereas before you had the you know just obi Wan's speech to uh, to luke on tatooine we were going to get to see all of that we got to see all of that and more the world that they grew up with with the jedi being a presence in the galaxy with the republic and the senate and everything and in some ways the sequels are showing you the going forward after the empire that a lot of the stuff is getting it's gotten lost and it's being refound and that, that's where they're, they're almost trying to find the balance as to the, the romanticism of the original trilogy versus the kind of stark cold reality that the prequels kind of have to show you that yeah there were thousands of jedi and they're all floating and jumping and lightsaber in left right and center and you know this is no longer the case because there's only how many jedi by the start of uh, episode seven it's only one and he's on an island and this one guy who proclaims to be Sith but he's not really Sith so uh it it has to go it, it has to go that way but I think what it does is it allows you to kind of go back and take a look at it and see the journey kind of how in history kind of how stuff gets lost during wars and then gets refound later on and people have to put that past into its proper context you can't make the Jedi out to heroes that's why the the lesson that Luke gives to Ray and Octo about how the Jedi bought their own hype, and they're the ones who let Palpatine come to power, you know, because he's not romanticizing the Jedi. He's telling you this is who they were, both good and flawed.
0: So I'm gonna get, I'm gonna give uh, my next two points in, in one because you just mentioned Luke. Another thing that the sequels has done, and this is again, this is po- in a positive way. Um, it makes me look at Han Solo and Luke Skywalker much differently, and I. First of all, I love Han Solo's arc from episode four to episode seven. I mean, when he's off, spoiler alert. Um, I liked the way that Ryan Johnson portrayed Luke in The Last Jedi because it makes him look a little less perfect that we're all tried to made to believe that he was, you know, in the original trilogy that he was this, you know, innocent, can't be, you know, can't be tempted or can be tempted, but won't, you know, won't fall to it, you know, type of thing. But it showed that he was a flawed, you know, um, you know, human being. Um, So that is something that I think the sequels did really well is that they really upped Han Solo and Luke Skywalker's characters.
1: Yeah, and um, they did that through the just the natural course of, of what you had to achieve with the story. It's like if you, if you commit to bringing them back, well, you can't just leave them in their happy ending at that point. Um, we have drama to achieve here in these new movies. I'm sorry, we need drama. So it's like, what are we going to do with them? And we're going to tell the story of aging. We're going to tell the story of legacy. and and what it is about them and what they thought they achieved and how they came up short. And um, we're just going to swim in those, in those kinds of details. And, And you're going to, by extension, learn much more about who those characters really are.
0: Let's 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 put this into a into a real world context for a second. I mean, at the end at the end of Return of the Jedi, it's like we see you know we're thinking Luke Skywalker is going to go on. He's going to train the new Jedi and he's going to make bring everything back and everything's going to be Skippy Woo-hoo! We you know yeah 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 we win. You know okay so let's go to the real world right now. Two years ago, LSU wins a national championship and Ed Ogeron is like the greatest thing since sliced bread and LSU is on the move baby and homeboys looking for a job now you know what i mean and it's like it it, the you know your time in the spotlight is limited folks and luke had his time in the spotlight and something happened to make him get out of that spotlight Mm -hmm. you know um so for luke the luke part of it that's what but the han part of it i love the fact like i said you i mean and at all, actually, in episode nine, I think one of the best moments was when Kylo doesn't say it, when Ben doesn't say a word and Han says, I know. I mean, that just like Han Solo is now, he uh, he's, you know, um, I mean, he's finally kind of put a bow on the person he was meant to be. So... Mm-hmm.
2: And I think in some ways, I mean, we said it back when the prequels were coming out that you know, and, and fans were getting upset. It's like there's no way we can have sequels if everything went hunky-dory for our heroes from the original trilogy. Like there's no way it could have all gone according to plan and yet here we are back fighting the same villains. So there had to have been stuff to go wrong. Which I also think it's a very good lesson in terms of historical aspect. Just when you, you whenever know, you study history and you see people, whether it's you know no, historical figures that we look back later now, we're like, oh no, they were flawed human. They were not all 100% heroic. That's people. People, the, the the struggle against the dark side, to put it that way, is one that gets fought on an everyday basis. That's part of Luke's uh, tragedy in, in episode 8 is the fact that he flickered just for a moment. He had a doubt just for a moment, and in that moment, everything collapsed. It's the fact that when everything uh, fell apart for Han and Leia and their family, you know, they couldn't put it back together and they ran away back into who they were. Um, so that's part of the dynamic that I think a lot of folks, it's weird, it's some younger folks rejected, some younger folks accepted, some folks our age totally rejected because that's not our Luke. They're they're all hanging on to what we saw at the end of Mandalorian season two. And I'm like, yeah, but this, the Luke on Acto is still coming. The tragedy is still on his way. It's not just because he beat the bad guys does that mean that there's not going to be any more sad days and it's good that that's a lesson that's good that got passed down by the sequels because that does happen you know you think you're the hero and in invincible one day and next thing it's like nope i screwed up and now things are worse than ever you're not infallible
1: i i also want to say that um his end and the way that it was handled in episode eight reinforces the sacrifice that he made at the end of Return of the Jedi. And I think it does it beautifully. And so just, it's essentially for me, again, everybody, mileage varies. I get that. um, But like for me, that moment of pacifist resistance, I'm going to stand up for what I believe in, but I'm not going to like shoot force lightning at your head or whatever, or blow up a planet. It's like, I'm going to just stand up and give these other people a chance well, he, to thrive and live and fight another day. The and, last,
0: the last Jedi proved said what you know Yoda taught him that you know mm-hmm. the Jedi uses the Force for knowledge and defense. Mm-hmm. You know Luke is. You're right. Luke is not an aggressor.
1: And and so like that's that whole character side of him just gets reinforced and mm-hmm. and I think it's beautiful and when i go back and i watch the original trilogy now like that's still kind of in the back of my mind it's like luke you're a good egg you know you're not perfect but you're a good egg i'll never turn to the dark side you failed your highness i am a jedi like my father before me
2: so now he's uh, someone who tries to do the good thing and he struggles with it like we all do
0: Dave you had another one on here um, and uh, about uh, we, we now have three arcs rather than just two obviously um, and after you, you you make that point, I do want to I want to bring up something that ties into that so what, what's yeah. your what's your point here
1: uh, we, we covered this on one of our early shows um, which was well like what's the point of the new sequels and I think like with taken within the context of the other, Uh, trilogies you have the fall uh in the first film or the first three films you have the redemption in the next three films after that and then the last three films deal with legacy um and so if you're trying to look for a connection point if you've struggled uh as a, a lot of people have to to kind of say like what was the point of these last three movies Um, in terms of the saga um that's kind of it and and it really is reflective in pretty much all of the characters that you see they're either trying to assure a kind of legacy for themselves or they're trying to live up to a legacy that's been left behind by others
0: now, the thing I was going to bring up was uh, listening to Star Wars Underworld podcast. Uh, Dominic Jones brought up a, a good point. He said what he thought would be kind of a cool idea is in if there is a next trilogy. And actually, I, I'll, I'll morph it a little bit. And wouldn't it be cool if they would have done this in this in seven, eight, nine, instead of having just a um, 30 year jump, if they would have done a thousand year jump. And like I said, this was his idea. This isn't my original thing, but, you know, so then you have somebody who maybe comes to find out that they are descended from Palpatine or descended from Luke Skywalker. Does then that become a little bit easier to swallow than what we got in the Rise of Skywalker where everything is, you know, I mean, it, there's you can you don't even have to play six degrees of anybody. You play one degree of you know that you know. So, but if you put that a thousand years in the future, then it's like somebody who's all of a sudden shooting down a transport with you know with lightning hands. And they're like, where'd this come from? And they make a connection to the Force, and maybe that's when they you know connect to Force Ghost Palpatine or Fo- Force Ghost Luke or whatever and say yeah you're a descendant of this and then they have to figure out what the jedi were what the you know so i don't know it was kind of an interesting it was kind of an interesting take on that um so i don't know what you guys think of that or if we want to just move on whatever
2: no no it's it's an interesting idea because by stretching it out that far out it does give some it creates a different dynamic i mean of course it's a different galaxy it's a different situation so who knows how they would have written stuff, whether it would have been something like the First Order or something else and talking about together. Uh, I mean, Star Wars has thrown across its media has shown its ability to both morph and stay the same way. I mean, we just saw in Star Wars Vision, some of those chapters were set thousands of years into the future. So you couldn't still have the story and whatnot. I think that the only the downside, if there's a downside of having it done within a 30-year gap or 30-year jump, was the we still had all the connections to the characters. And I think once you committed to bring the characters back, you couldn't do it a thousand years into the future. At the same time, though, because you're bringing those characters back, you're going to be playing with the feelings and emotions of the fans, of those characters. Now you're like, wait, that's not my Luke. That's not my Han. That's not my, that is my Leia. You know, those kind of things. Because it proves people build emotional connections to those characters and they didn't want to see them... In this way, they wanted to believe they got there happily ever after. And again, by nature of the sequel's existing, we know that, that didn't happen.
1: Uh, yeah, I know that Luke, uh, excuse me, I know that Luke is a very uh, controversial point for a lot of fans, because some for some people, it didn't work. And for a lot of people, it did. Um, but I do think that there was a conscientious effort in the sequel trilogy to just sort of pay, res- pay their respects <laughs> To what came before, um, and to not only um, just respect what had come before, but also maybe build upon it and elevate it if they could. And so I think like that was again the Millennium Falcon, the lightsaber, the all you know all these little things like that. Like I wasn't hung up on a lot of this stuff, but by the same token, I was very appreciative that they said well this is a this is an important thing we we can wrap our arms around this thing this is a tangible thing for a lot of people and it is important to them and i think like that was the one thing that the sequel trilogy did um as a kind of course correction from the prequels where the prequels kind of demystified things the the sequels tried to remystify them and treat them again Put them on the pedestal. So,
2: but but you know, I will say one thing. There's the one character who I think only her, the presence only grows even more now in Star Wars thanks to the sequels. It's, it's Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. She was one of the three main characters in the original trilogy, but I think and it and it got just shown the moment after uh, Cara Fisher's untimely passing. But her presence in the sequel trilogy. You know anchoring things showing her you know who she is i think you know if it, there was no if there was a point where she didn't have hands in terms of of that character i don't think there isn't a, a girl who doesn't love star wars who doesn't love princess leia
0: so um another because the the alarm has gone off um but uh, there was another point you made dave i like that um you said the happy ending is gone that that end of uh return of the jedi you might as well just scratch it off because yeah. I mean, they make it seem like we're dancing with Ewoks and everything's going to be just fine. And, and I mean, it's not long after that. And even the Mandalorian has influenced this a little bit because it's like, there's disorder. It's, it's like, anytime we see like, you know, a war ends in a place, you know, forces leave, you know, well, the United States left Afghanistan just a couple months ago and, again, a vacuum is created and somebody comes in and, and takes power. Uh, but yeah, that whole, yub nub. that, yeah, you might as well not sing Yubnub anymore. So.
1: that That's art imitating life. I mean, it really is. So it's like, yeah, the happy ending's gone. Um, it's <laughs> throw napalm on it. It's, it's dead and buried. Um, but you know, it's probably a little more realistic. If we're being honest with ourselves, because it's just like things don't just tidy up in a bow. Think about it. You know, there just from the EU and everything else, it's like, well, okay, well, what do we, what now, <laughs> what next, what do we do now? So it's like well, the hard work begins now. Now you got to rebuild the galaxy. Now you got to rebuild government. Now you got to figure out how to keep everybody happy and safe. Um, and so, like these are the kinds of things that we're always going to be a part of that story.
0: So, all right. Well, I mean, anything else for the, the good of the order? I mean, I would. I actually, I would say, I think that the 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 prequels probably influenced the way I look at the original trilogy more than the sequels have, because. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I mean, I. I, I but it was, you, uh, had, you had George Lucas writing this, and he was. It was like. He he was. There was an intent there. Um, the the sequels were to get people excited about star wars again i mean but i'll
2: also say you've you've sat with the prequels for 15 years the sequels have only ended two years you know so we only got the whole story there for two years i wonder whether we'll be feeling the same way 10 years from now. whether the people who were positive or negative about this the sequels after rise of skywalker will how they feel in 2030 just because At some point, like I said, the book gets closed and gets put on the shelf. The movie gets closed and gets put on the shelf. You have to come to terms with what it is and what the story is. And look, by that point, we'll be getting new Star Wars movies Mm -hmm. and series and whatnot. So it may be that it's always a context that's changing. A lot of people, it took something like Clone Wars to re-open up their eyes to everything that was going on in the prequels and get them to recontextualize them in the way they could accept them. Maybe we're waiting for, for that to happen to the sequels now.
0: So yeah, well, hit us up on uh, on Twitter, or on Facebook. Let us know how the you know the sequels has influenced your um, view of the original trilogy. Like I said, we 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 stuck to a positive spin. You guys have to be proud of me that I stick I stuck to a positive spin. Um, you know, but I I think uh, maybe we need to do a sister show of how it has maybe not negatively, but left you know kind of let's do the ying to the yang, right? Um, because there are some things that, you know, like I said, not to be all complainy about it, but there are some things that kind of, you know, prequels. You and, ruined
1: my childhood. Right.
0: Yeah. You you ruined not my Star Wars. Did not
2: use the four letter R word. Um,
0: <laughs> all right. Well, yeah t- okay uh,
2: yeah. anyway uh, Aaron needs another
0: beer kids Aaron's, Aaron's been drinking whiskey um, but anyway so uh, cool well like I said hit us up on Twitter Facebook what you think how the sequel trilogy has affected your viewing of the original trilogy we'd love to be bugged at work um, you guys don't bug us enough um, but uh, and uh, until then we will say at? who that who that? who And everybody have a great week, and uh, we'll see you another time.